Seven living God, to be the glory forever. Amen. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father when he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelled around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. A new child will be called the prophet of the highest, for he will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, with the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit, and was in the desert till the day, of his manifestation to Israel. Sunday of Kek, the last Sunday before we celebrate the Feast of the Nativity, and our mother, the Church, prepares for us a passage about the birth of St. John. If you remember, a few weeks back, the Archangel Gabriel, he came to Zechariah, and he announced to him that he's going to have a son in his old age, and that he would be, uh, that he would name him John, and we see that announcement uh, coming to pass, or coming to fruition today.
Gabriel also told Zechariah that he would be mute until the birth of St. John. And so it was because due to his sort of unbelief in what the archangel was saying. And so we see the first thing that Zechariah does when he is given the ability to speak again is express himself in praise of God for everything that God has done. But actually, if you look at carefully, if you look and read closely the praise of Zechariah, he isn't really praising God for the birth of his son. And he's definitely not praising God uh, because he's, given, he's been given his speech back. He's primarily praising God because of the salvation which is about to be given to all of mankind through the birth or the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And actually, I think this is a pretty amazing thing. Zechariah, if you put yourself in his position, he's been given a miraculous son born well out of the time of childbearing for his wife. He's been cured of his temporary muteness with the completion of the words of the archangel. But his praise has little to do with either of those things. It's as if Zechariah and St. Luke, the writer of the Gospel, is saying, that's not the big deal here. That's not what the most important thing is here. That's not the thing that I want to focus on. The thing that needs to be focused on is that God is becoming man in order to save us. And then the question that Zechariah helps us answer in his praise is, what does he save us for? What purpose does God save us for? If you look at the answer or the prayer of the praise of Zechariah, we can see the answer. He says, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So in essence, Zechariah is saying, we were saved for a certain reason, for a purpose. Christ came to save us and we should respond to this gift of salvation by serving God in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. So God didn't save us just you know, to keep us from hell. He didn't save us only so that we could be adopted into his family. Although both of those things are true, our ultimate purpose in this life is to bring honor and glory to God. So then our salvation has to result in the serving of God in holiness and righteousness. Everyone who is in Christ receives the blessings and the gifts of salvation if they are willing to accept it and live in such a way. But as we are actually mentioning when we talked a few weeks ago, about the archangel coming to St. Mary, we mentioned that blessing always comes with a responsibility. Blessing comes with a responsibility towards God and towards others. St. Mary was told, blessed are you among women, but that blessing came with a responsibility to share in the sufferings of Christ, seeing her son being killed for the sake of all of us. So salvation, or the gift of salvation, leads to the privilege of service. God saves His people from the hand of their enemies so that they serve Him all their days without fear in holiness and righteousness. That, by the way, is, is nothing new. If you look in the Old Testament, do you remember what was the reason God demanded that Pharaoh let the people of Israel leave Egypt and get removed from slavery? God tells Moses to tell him, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. 
That's the reason God delivered His people from Egypt. That is the reason God will deliver His people from all their enemies at Christ's second coming. And that is the reason God delivers us from sin, all the devastating effects of sin, so that we can serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. Righteousness means following His commandments. And holiness means that we're set apart, that we're set apart for God. Just like God does everything for the most excellent and per perfect cause in the world, in His mercy He also delivers us and saves us so that we can be 100% fulfilled in devoting ourselves fully to the most excellent and perfect cause in the world, God Himself. So if God saved me, or came to save me in order to serve Him with 100% dedication, with my whole being, with all my mind, soul, heart, and strength, that's what submitting our life under His Lordship means. And actually, St. John, who we commemorate his birth today, is a good example of this. It says in verse 80, So the child grew and became strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of the manifestation of His manifestation to Israel. God is to be served in holiness and righteousness. So then, if that's the, if that's the case, then our service has to be more than just being busy for and, and say that we're busy for the sake of God. Many times we find ourselves uh, serving in one capacity or another, keeping busy and saying that we are serving God. Our service has to be actually more than just uh, things that we do, although it is part of it. Our service has to be a way of life. A way of life both personally and morally. It's supposed to be a continuous worship that should characterize our lives. And certainly is going to characterize our lives in the heavenly kingdom. So we should ask ourselves this question, how is that going for me? Is my primary goal in life to serve God? Or do I have other primary goals? Whether it be something about uh, the way I'm living, whether it be about my, my social standing in the world, whether it be about my career, whether it be about my significant other, do I have goals that are more primary or come before my first goal, which should be to serve God? In Luke chapter 14, when our Lord Jesus Christ was speaking about disciples and how and what it means and the requirements of becoming a disciple, there were many people at the time that were following Him. But actually, a lot of them were following him for the wrong reasons. Some people were following him because they wanted to see miracles. Some people were following him because they ate from the five loaves and two fish. Some of them, they were following because they wanted to see sort of the next new thing that Christ was going to say. Some of them hoped that Christ would overthrow Rome and establish God's kingdom. When our Lord Jesus Christ was preaching to those people, the number of the followers actually began to thin out. There began to be less and less people. And he says in Luke chapter 14, If any man comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Actually, three times uh, when he is speaking in that chapter, Luke chapter 14, our Lord Jesus Christ says the phrase, cannot be my disciple. In other words, Christ is laying out absolute requirements for discipleship. Yes, God wants us to be delivered from our sins. He says that in the verses to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of the enemies. He wants us to be delivered from the hands of our enemies. 
God wants us to have a personal relationship with Him. God wants us to spend eternity with Him. But ultimately, God wants us to be a disciple of Christ. If Christ came to save us, He did it in order for you to serve Him as His disciple. Not only are you called to be a disciple, but you are called also to make disciples. If you think about the very famous Great Commission in the Gospel of St. Matthew, when Christ says, Go therefore and teach all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. The phrase teaching actually literally means in the Greek to make disciples. It involves more than actually even just sharing the gospel. It's even not just making converts. There's a difference between a convert and a disciple. Converts are people who are believers, who live like the rest of the world. Disciples are believers who live like Christ. Converts are people who are focused on their values, their interests, their worries, their fears, their priorities. Disciples are focused on Christ. Yes, converts can go to church, but disciples are the church. Converts could be involved in the mission of Christ. Disciples are committed to that mission. Making disciples speaks of teaching, training, investing in others. The Christian life actually can be summed up in the phrase, be a disciple who makes disciples. So then I should ask myself, what about myself? Am I doing my part? Am I making disciples? I think this passage is especially relevant for us here at this church, have many people who convert. But how many of us have put effort to make them into disciples? Make them feel truly part of our community and part of our lives. Those of you who have converted, how many of you have made that transition from simply being a convert to being a disciple? Is it enough for us, for example, to celebrate uh, when someone gets baptized on the day of their baptism and then just leave them to the wolves of the world to devour this newly born sheep? Do we check up on our brothers and sisters in Christ, encourage them to come to church, encourage them to be partakers of the sacraments, encourage them to live a life of holiness? All of us, at any given time, we are either building up or tearing down the church. Of course, it's an amazing thing that we have people in our church that convert. Over the past few years, we've had maybe more than 30 people become baptized and become Christian. That's a great achievement. But how many of them have we worked to make into disciples? Can you imagine how much more we can do if we were more faithful servants, all of us, myself included? Am I faithful to the work of the kingdom of God? If I have... A position of service within the church? Am I devoted to it? Do I take it seriously? Can others depend on me to carry out my responsibilities faithfully? If I, may, if I neglect my responsibilities, not only am I just maybe letting the church down, not only am I letting my brothers and sisters in Christ down, I am saying to God that serving Him is not as important as whatever is keeping from me from doing my duty. There's a duty for me to do. If I really believe that, then I have to acknowledge the fact that if I'm not serving, then I am backsliding. I'm going backwards. Zechariah says to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. You are either obeying the command of Christ or you are living in open rebellion. There is nothing in between. Today's Gospel reminds us that there is a role to play given the work of the Incarnation that Christ has done for us. 
I need to pray that God aligns my desires towards serving Him. If we're at the beginning of a new year, if I reflect on my life compared to a year ago or two years ago, I should see my life being more aligned with serving God in holiness and righteousness so that I can even get even greater joy from it. Our growth maybe doesn't necessarily come in a straight line. So I don't need to despair if I look and I assess my life and say, you know what, actually, I'm in a bad position. I might be worse than I was last year or the year before. Our lives will never be in total submission to God until we meet Him again in the heavenly kingdom. That's why we are given the opportunity to repent while we are here on earth. God is calling us this morning to remember that we are given the gift of salvation for us to go out and to serve others. For us to live in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. We should eagerly pray to God that we can serve Him perfectly without fear. So that we can advance and achieve godliness and achieve little victories over sin one step at a time. When Christ was incarnate for us, He did it so that we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore. And so now I battle sin and He's given me the means by which I can become victorious. Now I can remind myself that I have a duty to serve God in holiness and righteousness so that I can hear God saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. May God allow us all to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. We